Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. God's, I think, constantly trying to stretch us. We we were having a a conversation during prayer this morning. You know, none of us are living up to the potential that we could. We all have areas in our heart, in our mind, from our past where we're limiting what God wants to do through us. And there are strategies of the enemy that are involved that we're sorting through. You know, thankfully, we know that the enemy is stripped of all authority. But we can still believe lies. We can still be deceived. Not that the enemy has power over you, but just the fact that you might be hypnotized into self-limitation, you know. And, and, and I'm always going to speak to you from the perspective that it can get better. You can grow. You can advance. You should be experiencing transformation. You should be operating more in the gifts of the Spirit. You should be accomplishing more but only from the place of knowing that you're secure in him, knowing that your place in the kingdom is established. It's like you're not working to try to earn status in the afterlife or to gain you know, a higher position in the kingdom. It's as if you are secure in the kingdom of God already because your faith is in the blood of Christ. Done deal. You are safe in him. Now... Because we're still in this earth, we have work to do. We have growing to do. And ultimately for a purpose, and that is to glorify God, you know? So that, so that what God desires is what be, is what would be, so that what God desires is what we are shaping our lives to reflect. Does that make sense? I mean, how many of you, how many of you want to obey God? You, would, you just want to follow God. You don't want to, there we go, delayed reaction. Elbow him over there. <laughs> it's what we want, right? But, but unfortunately, the Christian church has made it about obedience is your acceptance or your qualification or the context in which God will or won't bless you, right? But now, God, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. So we're, we're in this place of relationship with him. You know, it's like we're linked arms with God. God is on our side. We're on God's team. We are in God's family. We are part of what it is, what he is in that heavenly dimension. He's given us great and precious promises so that we would be a partaker of his divine nature. We have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into his kingdom. His kingdom is within us. Amen? As he is, so are we in this world. Done. But there's that mirror every morning. And, and, and so it's a paradox of what am I going to let the mirror say to me? Am I going to let it reflect back to me my failures, my fears, my limitations, all of this stuff? Or am I going to let it affirm to me? No, you are complete in Christ But in this body, in this earth, there's growth that needs to take place still. And not even so much just for yourself, but because there are people out there that don't know who God is. They don't know 
that the kingdom of God is so good. They don't know what Jesus did for them. You know, I grew up right here in Fayette County and did not know what the cross was about until I was, you know, 17, almost 18 years old. It had never been explained to me. Had been to church a few times. You know, we weren't raised in church, so that's a big part of it, obviously. But I hear all the time people that were raised in church, they're like, they hear the gospel, and it's like, I never knew that that's what Jesus did for me. That makes so much more sense. And it's like, you know, I, I, I look at the church as this is the equipping training ground for a world out there that needs to know him. You know, I hope, I hope that this is not just a cultural expression for you. I hope that this is not just an activity for you because you are a Christian. You know what I mean? Like, oh, well, I go to church. I absolutely love that there is a very strong social and community element to, to what we have here and what God is building and continuing to grow. I love that. I love that you have support, that you have groups, that you can be as connected as you want to be. Um, and so I, I value that. But, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm constant as, as the year winds down and I'm thinking about going into the next year, looking at goals, looking at, you know, what we want to accomplish. We're going to sit down and plan out some of the things that we want to teach on and, and courses that we want to develop and just all the discipleship stuff we want to do throughout 2023 and beyond. And, I, and I, there was a moment over the last, it was either last week or the week before, but I just, I had this perspective. And, it, and it's, you know, we do it with Equip, we're doing it with Moving Forward, which is our, some of our Wednesday night events where we're, you know, just helping people grow, apply the word, go through this process of self-discovery, take the limitations off, become more obedient to the Lord because we are, you know, indwelt by His Spirit. But it was like, you know, I, 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 Here's what I think. I'm not, you know, we know that in general, church attendance is shrinking. And it's mostly Christians that go to church. <laughs> you know, or at least people that are receptive to believing in Jesus. And I'm just not so sure that over these next few years, we're going to see a mass, massive sweep of people coming to church. Which means we need to take Jesus to them, right? So, you know, I, I, I don't want to live from a leadership perspective with the concept that you go out there, bring more people in, so we have more bottoms and seats, and we'll call that growth. You know, I mean, obviously we want more people here. You know, I, I see long-term a couple thousand people in a on any given Sunday. You know, we go buy some property, build a building, buy a building, whatever. I, I really feel like that that's in the cards. That's what God is wanting to grow us toward because this message needs to expand. This, this, this concept of anchoring everything in the finished work of Christ needs to grow. People need to know this. So, so I, I do have that vision. But on the other end of it, I think we need to recognize most of the people that you run across, they're not going to go to church. So what is your expectation? How are they going to hear the gospel? If it's a value of yours that people give their lives to Christ, if that's a value of yours, and statistically, most of the people that you run across aren't going to go to church, what does that mean? What do we do about that? 
you know? So uh, we aren't a seeker-friendly church in, you know, I mean, you, you, you kind of, if you don't know much about Scripture and you come in here, it may sound like it's a little bit over your head. But that's all right. Don't feel bad about that. Just stick around, learn, grow. This place is for you as well. We want to help you. We want to disciple you. And there's nothing wrong with you. You know, you're not behind the eight ball, and you're just, you are where you are. But, and, and again, I'm, you know, you're, you're catch, I'm, I'm winding down the year. I'm thinking about the next year coming up, so I'm kind of thinking and processing and speaking out, you know, just thinking out loud in a little bit of what I'm talking about. But, but what I'm feeling is this tension, this paradox. You know, a paradox is something that has two seemingly opposing realities. It's like, well, this is true, but yet this is true also. And so how do we live within the balance of two truths, right? And the, these, these two truths that I'm feeling transitioning into this next year are, would you just relax? So that's one truth. Just, just chill out. Say, so just chill out. Take a deep breath, calm down, just calm down, quit worrying about politics, quit worrying about the future, quit worrying about what you're worrying about and calling it prayer, quit worrying about the devil, quit worrying about your kids, quit worrying about your 401k, quit worrying about who's in president, you know, just, just, just chill out. That's one truth. And then the other side is, oh my God, look at the planet, you know. No, not really. The, the, the other end is, the other side of that is, I want to be as productive as I possibly can. I want to take off every limitation and live fully in everything that I could put my hand to. I want to obey God to the fullest. I want to be as successful as God would lead me to be. I want to get to the end of my life and have all of this library and all these things and and, you know, and, and the word legacy gets thrown around, and I don't like that concept of leaving a legacy. But so, so that's personally where I'm transitioning out of this year into the next year. It's like, would you just relax? And then the, and then the other thing is, man, we got a lot of work to do, right? And I, and I think that kind of perfectly describes our identity in the kingdom. Rest in him, but get busy. Don't work to earn, but, you know, realize that we lack, and so we need to put our hand to the plow to be blessed, to be a blessing. Recognize that the only thing that you, you know, really owe God is obedience and to be loving and kind toward others, but there's a lot of people out there that don't know Him, that need to hear about Him, and it's not your responsibility but don't you want them to know, right? So are you, are you, do, you, do you feel that? Do you feel that tension? How many of you, you know, you think through those kinds of things? It's like, and, and sometimes it's like, today, I'm chilling out. And then the, but then this day, man, the, 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 the balance is to not judge yourself through the process. The balance is to not beat yourself up. That's why it's so important to know that you're complete in Him, because when you do, when that inspiration does rise up, when that conviction of, you know, laziness or ineffectiveness or just staying stuck in the past for too long, when all that stuff rises up and it tries to rob you of today, 
and then it just yanks the carpet out from underneath you, you know? That's why you got to know that you're complete in him so that you don't judge yourself for where you are now. That you can look back into the mirror and say, no, you know, I'm complete. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. We all fall short of the glory of God. I want to make decisions and live in such a way where I'm a host for the glory of God to be fully expressed in my life, but I know that I can't work for that. All I can do is trust Him and daily obey. Daily obey. Daily obey. That was kind of one of the titles I was playing around with is just daily obey. Because one day builds upon the next, builds upon the next, builds upon the next. And it's fine to have a vision. It's fine to plan. It's fine to do all that stuff. But daily obey. There's a concept in the recovery world that's just do the, just, just do the next right thing. It's like, well, man, I'm this, this many years old and I've never lived this way or I have this far along and I should be further along now. It's like, well, you got today. How today... Can you make the right decision? Today, how can you obey? Today, what is it that you know today to do? And do that. And then tomorrow, do that for that day. Are you with me? I mean, I know that you've heard a version of this or a concept of this. I'm not, I, today, I'm not really trying to give you some new information or do, you know, really do much of a teaching. It's almost kind of more of a philosophical ending to the, the year in terms of, because I, I know what happens, people get down to the end of, is it warm in here? Yeah, somebody said no. Somebody, Adam, will you bump it down maybe just one? But we get down to the end of the year and we start self-reflecting. And unfortunately, it gets negative. And here's the, here's the negative reinforcement cycle. Uh, you recognize that you're not as far along as you should be, you judge yourself for that and you feel, you know, defeated and a little bit worthless, whatever the words might be that you're using to define yourself. And so you don't like that. So you try to grow, but then you're like, oh, I can't really push. I'm just constantly, this is just, and then, so then you just settle right back down to the current position that you're in. And then we make these rationalizations and excuses for, well, it's because of this in my past. Well, it's because of the economy. Well, it's because of this is where we are in the end times and it doesn't matter anyway. It's this. Whatever it might be to keep you stuck in the day, not obeying in such a way, expecting growth for tomorrow. What, what do you say to yourself that keeps you stuck exactly where you are? You know, so going into next year, I, I want to stretch I'm not sure exactly. Uh, actually, Tori's, where's Tori? I think he's back in kids' church. Tori's preaching next week. Um, we will be down in Savannah for the Reese's final shotgun tournament as a senior in high school. So it's a little bit sad. The last, the last. We'll be here, but we won't be here. We will get home very, very late Saturday. So um, we may stroll in when y'all get here. Come to church just as a person coming to church. I don't know. <laughs> so, so out of that, I, I wanted to just read a couple of passages. So again, the goal of today that, that I wanted us to leave with is, you know, what this idea of a life philosophy, 
and this idea of what, what are the principles that I want to live by and, and what's my general attitude going into the next year, you know? Um, maybe you don't want to get too introspective and, and look at your life up until this point. You know, most of us try to avoid that. Most people in, you know, alive try to avoid looking at the past and reevaluating and trying to figure out how we can grow. But I think if we do it from a place of knowing that we're already fully complete in that heavenly dimension, our seat is secure, we rule and reign with him, but in this earth, we are ambassadors sent with a message to announce the good news of the kingdom. And that's what, isn't that really all that you want to do? I mean, of course we want to enjoy life. I think God gave us a planet to enjoy life together. But man, to me, there's, there's not much greater than people waking up and realizing, oh my goodness, God actually does care about me. God actually does want to live his life alongside of me. I'm not just a servant trying to keep God from getting angry at me. I am cherished and loved and highly valued by God to the point that he would become a human to destroy everything that keeps me from experiencing life. So I want to read a couple of passages. We're going to go to Micah 6. Let me set it up before you put it up there. Um, in Micah, Micah is an Old Testament prophet. He lived around the same time as Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the more famous prophets because uh, you know there's so much detail about the Messiah. I love Micah because Micah kind of goes through this idea of the coming Messiah that will restore everything. And that's what gave Israel this expectation of Israel, the chosen people of God, being set back up as the people over the earth to, to rule and reign. Unfortunately, they adopted this mindset that it would be a political and military rule and reign. And, and, but Micah kind of presents it from this idea of more of the internal kingdom growth and you know, the, the, more of a restoration, more of a restorative aspect than a conquering idea. And, but Micah prophesies to the nation of Israel who were in covenant with God, you know, judgment that was coming for breaking the, breaking the commandments, breaking the covenant that they had. And th this one point in chapter 6, he's talking to them and he's kind of, telling them all that they've done wrong and telling them what God's going to do. And, you know, ultimately there's, there's restoration and hope. With, there's always a way out, even under old covenant curse. But he gets to this one point. Some of you, when I read it, I'm sure a lot of you have heard it before. But it's interesting because he's going through this entire list of what God's expectations are, then the type of judgment that's going to come. I mean, really, when you read it, it makes you think, thank goodness that we are under the new covenant, that we don't live subject to the judgment of God like they did back then. We are free from that now. So he gets to this point where he's like, what are you, you know, what are you going to do? What could you possibly do for God? And, and, and I'll frame it in the modern time. Those of you that feel like you haven't done enough, how many of you feel like you haven't done enough? Everybody probably would raise their hand. And you know what? You haven't. 
Just quit judging yourself and beating yourself up over that because you got today and you got tomorrow, right? So he kind of takes away their self-righteousness and when he's talking about sacrifice, because for them it was all about not how many people they got saved, how many miracles they got, how many churches they built. It was all about the sacrifices that they brought. It was all about how holy and pious they could live before the Lord and, and how, how you know, righteous they were. And Jesus warned against that. Jesus said, look, when you pray, don't go stand out on the street corner and try to impress everybody with your lofty and loud prayers. Go into the closet in secret. Get with the Lord privately, secretly. He's more addressing the hearts of the people and their mindsets of their self-righteousness in passages like this. So what, what I, what I want to kind of steer it toward now is, is this, you know, the paradox we talked about, chill out, relax, but get busy, you old sluggard, lazy thing, you, you know. This paradox that we're living in the midst of, knowing who you are in Christ to balance all that out. Uh, to, today, I want to kind of end more on this idea of, just, would you just relax, cut yourself some slack, give yourself a break, relax a little bit, take a deep breath, rest in your identity in Him, because tomorrow's coming and there's plenty for tomorrow, but in the moment, let some pressure off a little bit. And, and ending with this idea of, all right, I'm charting a course for 2023 that, that I'm going to adopt this as a general philosophy of how I want to live. Because I, I, I think following God, I think obeying God, in, in obeying God, you engage in a journey of serendipity. You know, I think a lot of times what we do is we think we know what we're supposed to do. We think we know what we want God to do for us. And so we outline all these prayers and we pray. And certainly we know what God's mad at us about for not doing. Right? But if we, I think if we just live by that obey today mindset, then it's day by day that you then find opportunities to step into. And, and again, I'm, 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 I'm ramping up into a series, so I'm not saying everything is detailed and as direct as, as I might say in some time. So let, it, let's read this, and I think it'll, it'll make a little bit more sense to you. Micah so 6 in verse 6. Um, and again, he's saying to the Israelites, what, what do you think you can do for God? I mean, what is it that you actually can do for God? So I think that's, the, that's kind of the context. So with what... Shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of olive oil? Is God going to be happy when you finally give enough money? Do you think you're going to please God when you finally figure out how to work in miracles? I mean, what is it that you think that you're going to impress God with? Is it that you stop beating your husband up, that you think it's finally this? No, you shouldn't beat your husband up. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you. you. You get what I'm saying, right? It's like all these things that we claim as accomplishments, as self-righteousness, most of us don't do that. We're on the other end of the spectrum where we have all these judgments about ourselves of the things that we haven't done. 
and you present them to God as if they're disqualifications or even to yourself as if they're disqualifications, I think it's even more self-righteous to do that than it is to try to say, look at all these great and wonderful things that I've done. Are you, does that make sense to you? Like, in other words, you look at yourself, you believe the excuses that you give yourself. Well, I didn't know. I don't know. This was my background. I don't really want this. I, I, I hope that you can insert in there what I'm trying to communicate, you know. It's the stuff that we think disqualifies us. This is just as much self-righteousness as we think the stuff that qualifies us. So let me keep going. Tens of thousands of rivers of olive oil shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? It's like, what do you think that you can actually do for God? And then he says, and this is, this is, the, this is the one passage that I wanted to, to really highlight, Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O mortal, a lot of translations say, O human, he has shown you, O human, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require? How many of you have that question? What does God want from you? Yes? No? I'm, I'm like, nobody wants to know what God wants from you. Yeah, she does. She's like, I do, I do. I think it's a good question. What do you want? What? Because, and, and from this perspective, going into this new year, stripping it all away, asking one simple question, God, I don't want selfish gain. I don't want my grandiose vision. I don't want anything that I can come up with. All I want is to follow you. All I want is to glorify you. All I want is to obey you and do those things that you would lead me to do. Are you with me? It's like the only thing, the older I get, the only thing I want to do with my life are the things that God would lead me to do. And not even with my brand on it, not even with my perspective. You know, I want to eliminate all of that stuff and just put on the mindset of how he thinks and make those choices that are in agreement with this is, in this moment today, this is the most clear thing to me that God is leading me to do. And I'm going to give all I have to that. And if that's serving your family by taking care of the household that day, then that's what it is. If that's dealing with your attitude for your neighbors and your family, then that's what it is. If it's being prepared to go to work the next day, to not just begrudgingly be there for the paycheck, then that's what it is, right? If it's write a book and travel around the planet, then that's what that is. You know, at whatever scale it might be, what is it today? So this is it. He says, what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And I would say memorize that and have that. How many of you have ever taken this passage and, and just meditated on it for a while? I mean, like, like I know there's been a lot of sermons, a lot of time, a lot of, you know, a lot of you that were raised in church. Has this passage been used? A few people, yeah. So 
It's a pretty simple thing, but when you think about it, it starts to define a path for you because, and I, and I wrote my book, Who Do You Love, with the same kind of mindset in that quit asking God, God, what do you want me to do? And just live in such a way that is as close to his, you know, guidance as possible because I know what that will do is it will bring you into situations where you then do those amazing things that you're sitting there judging yourself for not doing. That's what I mean by the serendipitous journey. If you have a general philosophy of life that you're sticking to that, it that is godly, it will bring you into situations where you then have to step into those opportunities to take advantage of those situations. Are you with me? Because what we do is we sit and we want this vision. We want God to give us the steps. We want God to give us the details. God, what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? And it's like you'll never figure it out. But if you live according to a philosophy that is in agreement with God's direction and influence and character and integrity and laws and commandments and all that stuff, in other words, if you live in agreement with how God would lead you to live, I promise you, it will bring you into situations where you then have opportunities to do the things that you judge yourself for not doing now. It just will. But then the question becomes, will I step into those opportunities, right? Will I open my mouth? Will I make that decision? And I, and I think that that's where faith comes in and that's where we're going to go in in you know, the next few weeks. But, but just a general life philosophy to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So what is just? What does justly means? Really, I mean, if you study these words out, and, it, and if this is something that you want to do, you know, if you kind of just want to take it back to the basics, push everything away a little bit, and just recenter yourself, this is how I'm going to live. I'm committing to live this way, trusting that as I live this way, I will find myself in situations where I can then obey God and then amazing things happen and I do those things that God would call me to do. But it's along the path that I step into those things. So what we want to do is define the path. And the path is these things here. To, to, to um, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. So what is justly? And I would encourage you to do a little bit of a word study on this. If you don't know how to do that, you can go to blueletterbible.org, blueletterbible.org. Find Micah, go to this chapter, and then at the top, click on Show Strong's Concordance. And then it'll show you these numbers by the words. Maybe I'll do a little video showing people how to use that. But basically, you want to look at the original language of the word, and it'll give you a definition. It has to be in King James or New American Standard. Yeah, that's the yeah, that's the only two translations that they have the uh, Strong's connected to. I think it's King James by default. Um, but but justly is essentially just do the right thing. Now you guys know this. I'm not again. I'm not trying to teach you anything that you don't know. I'm not trying to give you any kind of revelation. I'm just trying to kind of help us settle our minds and our hearts in the rest that we have in Christ, and, but yet define, this is, who I'm, this is how I'm going to live. I'm going to live this way 
and trust that as I'm living this way, I'm then going to follow God. Because what it's going to do, living this way will teach your heart everything it needs to be taught to obey Him. So, and, and again, you don't do the right thing for God to accept you. You're already accepted because of Christ, right? You do the right thing because you're representing God in this earth. People are looking at us going, well, I don't want that Jesus stuff because look at that guy. Are you with me? Are you thinking that I ramble too much? You're thinking. Just hurry up. Got turkey to eat. All right. Love mercy. Love mercy. The, the idea of loving mercy is uh, mercy being goodness, kindness, and faithfulness. Kindness specific, specifically. Kindness extended to the lowly, needy, and miserable. And that might be you. You know any miserable people? I know some miserable people. And it's, it's actually a joy to be kind to them. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to, you know, go, oh, my goodness, you're the most wonderful person on the planet. Would you teach me how to be saved? You know, it's probably not going to happen like that. Uh, man, I'm telling you, I sit in marriage counseling specifically. This is where it manifests the most. And it's like, all right, you want to save your marriage? Yep. You want to save your marriage? Yep. What are you willing to do? I'll do anything. Okay. I'm going to remember that you said you would do anything to save your marriage. Let's outline some things. What would you like him to do? Oh, well, I don't know. I, I guess I can do that. Okay. And then the next week or two weeks later, they come back. How's this going? Well, you know, I, didn't, I did that for the first day or two, and then they didn't do this, and so I don't know. I just felt like I just stopped. Well, you told me you wanted to do anything, but what we, we, don't, we don't stick with it, right? We don't stick with the goodness and the kindness and the faithfulness. Pick out some people that are just absolutely miserable and practice kindness with them. I know y'all are thinking, is he thinking I'm miserable? Maybe. I might, I might be. But to love mercy is to be good and to be kind. And then humbly. It, it's interesting. <clears throat> the word humbly is not, in, in this particular passage, is not the typical word for humility. It's interesting that it, it means lowly. And the, word, the, the root word here, humbly, in walk humbly with your God, the root word actually means to afflict or make, make lowly. And now, if you have a particular legalistic perspective of how to express your Christianity, that would lead you into things like certain groups of Christians do where they're whipping themselves and beating themselves and crawling on their hands and knees and, and thinking, well, God, the way that God brings me into subjection and into humility is He afflicts me. He afflicts me. He does difficult and hard things to me, which then makes me humble and lowly. But it's, it's actually not afflict in terms of um, you 
receiving penalty from God because Christ has already been cursed from you. And it's not you beating yourself up. It's you humbling yourself to the truth that Christ was afflicted for you. Now, under the old covenant, God would afflict to humble. Under the new covenant, God afflicted Christ. And if you're not able to live humbly, you have not identified with the suffering that Christ went through on your behalf. If you want to know what it's like to suffer under the hand of God, read the Psalms that are prophetic about what the Messiah went through. Acts 2 sets up that precedent that there's plenty of Psalms of that. Read Isaiah 53 and develop this mindset of understanding Christ went through these things on my behalf, which should produce an element of, of humility within you. You know, Humility is not where you think that you're worthless. Humility is not where you believe negative things about yourself or you adopt the mindset of, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just a human, I'm just a sinner, I'm just worthless, I'm just, but by the mercy of God, he saved me from the pit of hell. That's not humility. Humility is when you're facing temptation and sin, humility says, you know what? I have the grace of God on the inside of me. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. I actually have the power in this moment to resist this temptation, to resist this lie, to resist this enemy. That's walking humbly. Humility is to put off what you believe about yourself and put on what God believes about you. Are you with me? Walking humbly with your God is to believe what he says about you, which means... When you start running these negative patterns of judging yourself for not doing enough, how do you get yourself out of that? To walk humbly with God is to let Him encourage you and inspire you because of His love for you to the point where you don't use that excuse any longer to not be active in your faith. And I think after... Uh, Tori speaks, I'm going to go into self-talk and faith. Self-talk and faith. What do we do? How do we talk to ourselves? How, 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 do you even know what your self-talk is? You'll be surprised when you identify it. To wrap it up, Proverbs 11. I want to, I want to show you what walking uprightly or righteously does. So to follow God is to obey God. There's a way to live righteously, not to try to earn or qualify, but because this is who you are in Christ, live this way. And in living this way, there are benefits and blessings that come along, not because you've performed a law properly and then God gives you a blessing because you've performed, it's no, in living this way, the whole earth responds to, because I've lived in a, agreement with God's natural law and order. So this kind of puts the point on the idea of living serendip serendipitously, having a life philosophy and trusting that God will bring you into situations that you then step into. So Proverbs 11.1, 1, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. And that's this idea of pay attention to your heart. 
You know, do you, do, are you treating every situation the same? Are you treating people fairly? Are you treating people justly? Verse 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Do you lack wisdom? Maybe you're sitting there and you think, well, I, I don't know what to do about this. Humility, with humility comes wisdom. This is, this is Proverbs 11. And I would encourage you, can I give you some more homework? Did I give you any homework yet? Not yet. Take Proverbs 11 and read it and read it slowly and recognize that it actually is good information to teach you how to settle yourself down to hear God. But with humility comes wisdom. If you're confused, you don't know what to do, you're not quite seeing things work out, Humble yourself. How can you humble yourself in that specific situation? Because wisdom will come out of that. Humbling yourself oftentimes means you admit things about yourself, maybe even confess those sins to get into agreement with how God sees you, and wisdom is a fruit of that. Verse 3, the integrity of the upright guides them but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Now, if, if you read these passages from a legalistic mindset, you're hearing do good, get good, do bad, get bad. But if you think about this in terms more of I'm a gardener, life is a garden, and I want to tend the garden in the way that the tomato plants will grow, patience. I want to tend the garden in the way that God designed this seed to grow. You're keeping yourself in alignment with God's natural order. Walking uprightly is walking in agreement with how God would say to live in this planet, and the result is blessing. Walking uprightly and righteously is living according to how God would lead you and command you to live, and the result is it works this way. If I tune that guitar the right way, it will play how it was designed to play, and it will be a beautiful fruit that comes out of that. But if I dis, you know, play it out of tune, it's discord and unpleasant. It's the same way with life. Your actions are more about tuning your heart with God's direction than it is trying to impress Him to bless you. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So, the integrity of the upright guides them. And I, I've been in these kinds of situations where you're struggling, you don't know what the right thing to do is, you don't know what the next choice is. But it's like, I'm just going to do the next right thing. I'm going to live justly. I don't care if it costs me. I don't care if it means that I have to expose myself in this situation. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to be clear. I'm going to hold to integrity here. Because when you do, your conscience is clear. Your heart is clear. And wisdom is evident. But if we live in such a way, does that make sense? All right, verse the next one. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless makes their paths straight, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. The righteous of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. Now again, it's not your self-righteousness it's living in agreement with, God, with what God defines as righteousness is deliverance to you. Because subtly the nuance is your mind and your heart from living that way is in a position where you can hear and lead and follow, you know, be led by Him. Hopes placed in mortals die 
with them, all the promises of their power comes to nothing. Verse 8, the righteous person is rescued from trouble, and it falls on the wicked instead. Verse 9, with the mouths of the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge the righteous escape. So, again, to end, just developing this general life philosophy to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Because when, you when you act justly, it clears a lot of confusion. Clears away a lot of confusion. When you're just committed to justice, it clears away a lot of the confusion. When you love mercy, it defines how to treat other people, which is the commandment that Jesus said, right? Love God, love people. And walk humbly with your God. Constantly living a repentant lifestyle to put off the self-judgment, to put off the self-righteousness. You know, a, a lot of times I see in a particular perspective of Christianity, there's this, what I consider revivalism. Revivalism has this kind of grandiose perspective of you know, engaging in some type of spiritual utopia that God waves a magic wand. I'm not saying this justly. I'm a little unfair with my description with it. But revivalism has this expectation. Let me just say the, the point of why I'm bringing it up. Revivalism brings us into this mindset where we have these grandiose expectations for ourselves and what God's getting ready to do that we're going to step into this massive big storybook thing where... You know, it's like miracles everywhere and this amazing stuff. And I'm not saying that that can't happen. If it happens, it happens. But to live with this expectation that I have to bring that about or if that's not happening, then we're not being who we're supposed to be. But are you with me? Anybody ever come out of that? You know, you have this version of revival that is just so grandiose that it's unrealistic. And you can never actually step into that. But living that day by day brings you into those amazing situations that you're really wanting out of that stuff anyway. That mindset burns a lot of people out. But bringing it all back down, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Sound good? Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand up, put our attention on him. Thank you, Lord. Uh, we, we remove the burden of performance we, we remove the self-judgments that we're not far enough along, and we're just resetting as 2022 winds down and as 2023 starts to ramp up. We're resetting that we're going to live in accordance with your principles. We're going to follow you. We're going to trust you. We're going to stay humble, and we're going to obey daily. We're going to obey daily and do the next right thing and be bold when those opportunities do present themselves. Lord, I speak life and blessing over every person in this room. Uh, those of us that are struggling with uh, the holiday seasons, Father, I thank you that you're encouraging them. Those that have lost loved ones, and maybe it's the first year or even the second year, and it's still fresh and it hurts. Father, I thank you that you're bringing comfort to them. You're bringing peace to them. You're helping them. But I also thank you that we're not staying stuck in the circumstances of this life that we are hopeful. We're encouraged. 
we know that we can make a difference. Your kingdom is increasing and advancing. And we want to we lay off limitations and step into productivity. So we give our hearts to you to be led by you. Father, I speak abundant blessing over every person. I speak life and health. Your spirit is active in all of us, bringing life to our physical body, healing and wholeness, manifesting in Jesus' name, your life, giving us life, reminding us that we're your children as we submit to you to obey you. Amen, amen, amen.